There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that sport dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. All right, this is the MEATEATER podcast. We're going to be talking about smoked puss, pickled sucker, donkey dick, Stuff like that, a, 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 an array of which I have laid out in front of me. But first, I want to talk about a couple other things real quick. We're, we're recording right now to Anchorage, Alaska. We're in Anchorage because I'm, pa- I'm passing through Anchorage um, on the way out to hunt for a muskox out on Nunavak Island out in the Bering Sea. It's funny because on the way here, I was reading this book. The, the, the writer, Peter Matheson, who many people... Many people don't know who Peter Matheson is. People who do know who Peter Matheson is often know him through his book Snow Leopard. But uh, Matheson in the 60s wrote this book about the, the, the muskox on Nunavak Island. And on his way to Nunavak Island in 1964, he passed through Anchorage, where I'm sitting right now. And he had this passage I was reading on the airport. I, w- I want to read this. to I'm sitting here with a couple guys from Anchorage, and I want to read him this passage. From Anchorage, there is no road westward, and it remains a frontier town. Despite its efforts at mainstream respectability, it still has pawn shops full of guns, hides, and snowshoes, and saloons jammed with Indians and prospectors. No longer gold, but oil. Violent death is not an unusual event in Anchorage, and its jail is full of wild young men. The town has a striking location by the sea on a plateau surrounded by mountains, and despite its recent earthquakes, its prospects are immense. But domesticity is soon to come. Its novelty stores will no longer sell small moose droppings made up as earrings, and it will be just another provincial town to which zoning came too late. (laughs) 
He couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> no. It hasn't changed. I was, I was like, you think this guy would have passed through Anchorage last night? Don't you feel that? Oh, especially the the moose drop, the moose drop earring thing. Yeah, you can still buy those all over town. What yeah. was that written in the sixties? Sixty four. Yeah. That here here's who here here's who here's who's sitting here right now. Um my brother Dan Ronella and Brant Michael, uh both those guys you might uh, if you happen to watch a show called Media, you might have seen these guys on the show. They're both uh biologists. Uh Danny works with fish and uh, aquatic ecosystems. Brant works with ducks, so they're as involved in wild games. Uh, they're involved in wild game. It's the life of wild game, and not just like what happens after it's dead, but things of the nature of keeping wild game around. And uh, Mike Washleski, he Polish Mike, um, out of Austin, Texas, and then Giannis Putellis. Giannis say uh, say something in Latvian. Say pickled pike and Lavian. Can't do it. He's not fluent. You know, uh, my my dad listened to the uh, Bozeman episode, and he was happy that they don't air uh, the Meteor podcast in Lavia because he was a little uh, you mutilated. He was a little embarrassed about my <laughs> Lavian skills when you put me on the spot in the last one. Yeah, Giannis. Uh, Speaks Lavian, wears a special Lavian ring, went to Lavian camp. Has never been to Lavia. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, we, we did get a uh, trail camp pick of some nice looking. That was amazing, man. Lavia, where Giannis's family hails from, has actual wild boars. And I'm telling you, in the U.S., people are always talking about like Siberians, you know, like wild boar, wild boars. It's like there's something else going on in Europe. You look at those pigs in Latvia, it's like that's a pure form of, of boar. Like there's a lot of domestic strains that have weaseled their way into U.S. stock because them pigs are not the same deal. They look very fleet-footed. Like oh, that, that picture, God, it's like man. a, I don't know, it, it must be some sort of a trail cam or a traffic cam pig. These pigs are running across the street at night in, in Regal Avenue in the capital city. And it almost looks like not a single pig's foot is actually on the ground. They're like running, and it's just, they're so yeah. quick. It's like, they look no, like nobody's really touching the ground. There's, there's just like, hey man, they look like a wild animal. In the guidebook, there's a picture of a wild pig. And I'm like, man, that pig is a wild pig running through the snow, and it wound up being a Eurasian pig. It's like the U.S. ones are a little bit different. We're getting way off subject. Um, smoke puss, donkey dick. We're going to talk about uh, everyone here is, is involved in at a hobby level and beyond a hobby level uh, preserving wild game. So I'm talking about canning, drying, freezing, charcuterie, like whatever it takes to carry wild game over. And so I want to have a discussion with a bunch of people who I regard as having levels of expertise about what they like to do with wild game to hold it over. So this is everything excluding fresh consumption. And when I was thinking about this, I thought about dividing. I kind of like made some notes to myself and they put all the different forms in alphabetical order um and within that we're gonna start talking about canning and just what we have here what do we have someone rattle off everybody rattle off what they have here that's canned 
Smoked octopus. Dan, Dan's got smoked. Okay, smoked octopus. Where's it from? What's up with that? Uh, it's it's smoke. It's a it's an octopus that 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 I caught at our uh, the, the cabin that Steve and I and our some some other share in Salt Cove, southeast Alaska. But it's an octopus that rode up uh, from about two hundred and fifty feet of water in a shrimp trap. In it or on it? In it. Oh, he got in it. In it. Yeah, and it was an octopus that, that I don't know. Maybe you know the tips of its arms. If you kind of spread it out, it might be. Maybe four feet across. I mean, it's a substantial animal, but it fit through, you know, the eye in a shrimp pot, pot which is about, it's not as big around as a beer can, you know, yeah. so that somehow those things just contort their way through those little holes. A little bit and, at a time. Yeah, man, yeah, yeah they get through there, you know, but yeah, so I pulled it up and and uh, I was with, with Ron Lighton when, when we got it and we he took four arms and I took four arms and vacuum packed it, brought it back to Anchorage and Boiled it for a half an hour, smoked it for a few hours, then put it in a jar and processed it in a pressure cooker. If it wasn't for smoked octopus, I wouldn't have gotten involved in buying that place. Because like when you took me out to meet Ron and he gave me that jar of smoked octopus, the best thing, man. Just like so rich and perfect. And then uh, Brant, Brant's got everything in the world canned here. Yeah, so all right, right on top we got some canned rendered bear lard. Which looks like lard. Oh, looks like Crisco. Yeah, it's way cooler, though. Half, yeah. half pint jar of Crisco. Then we got a can of uh, canned bear meat, which getting the fat off all the little chunks of stew meat is practically impossible, so there's also some rendered some fat in there. Rise up. Some uh, canned smoked salmon, some goat stock. From Mountain Goat? From Mountain Goat from this fall. And then some donkey dick. AKA summer sausage. But we're not onto that yet. That's different. Oh, That's not yeah. the can. So I'm I'm jumping ahead, so we'll stop on that. What is that? And that last can is that is uh, moose rib meat off the bone in uh, a jar with barbecue sauce and then and then processed in a pressure cooker. So a whole bunch of stuff. But that's the most interesting thing because so many people ditch rib meat or or just grind it. Grind I mean there's it. nothing wrong with yeah. grind. As long as you're using it for something great. But like any possible other use you can find for that stuff so you just like took the rib chunks yeah and you say it's but it's not it's hit and miss it's hit and miss and there's a lot of jar to jar variability like but like from what fat uh yeah i think it's fat and just in just the overall amount of meat in there compared to connective tissue and stuff it's like some of them are pretty good and some of them are pretty marginal you know and it's the whole range. i'd be curious to see what you guys think you got we should try it you know i want to check it out now uh, here, all the stuff we're looking at, the canned stuff we're looking at, is canned in glass. Um, just like classic bell jars. It's ball, ball. Cur, cur and ball. Yeah. Cur and ball. But you had, you should explain this to me, because uh, for a while, you, Danny, got into canning game meat in steel cans. Yeah. The thing I always remember, man, it's so funny, is one years ago, back when we were just like so poor, you had sent down a teal yeah you'd stuff the teal inside a steel jar and canned it and me and matt <laughs> carried that teal everywhere for the longest time and we were eventually up hunting on in unit 652 on the muscle shell river from yield i remember it we had in our backpack the teal the canned teal and a whole bunch of slim fast steel cans because matt had this neighbor in miles city named wes who had died and when he died, uh, 
somehow or another, someone brought over all these cases of Slim Fast that were somewhere in, I don't know, I don't know how I was affiliated with Wes's death, but we came into possession of a bunch of Slim Fast. I bring Wes up for an interesting thing because you want to talk about meat. Wes was, uh, before he died and after he died, didn't have one of his thumbs. His thumb was gone. When he was a kid, they used to hook a, they'd take the, the, the tire off a truck and run a belt on the run a belt on the rim and they would off that belt power a big buzzsaw to cut wood and Wes cut his thumb right off off I mean like the joint and everything cut his thumb off and Wes said his brother took the thumb and threw it into the pig pen and pigs just ate the thumb never got it reattached so he had his his slim fast, and <laughs> that we that Matt inherited all this slim fast. And I remember we were walking around because <laughs> he couldn't open them. <laughs> we were walking around drinking slim fast with this can of teal in a can. I remember Pooter was there, and a friend of ours, Pooter, and he was, he had drank about six slim fasts one day. and was commenting that if this stuff really works, he's going to be skin and bones in no time. <laughs> it was, it was, we opened up Dan's can of sli- his can teal. And we must have been carrying it around too much because it was honestly like a can of bones. It all just fell off the bone. It all like yeah. dissolved or something off the yeah. bone. So it's like we're trying to make sandwiches out of it. You just had to like drink what's on top and then pick the bones out, you know, and it was like Danny's canned bones, man. Well, home canning meat is it's I mean, you're cooking it hot and you're cooking it long. And it's when well, it's a pressure cooker, so water gets up to what is it, about two twenty in there? Yeah, it's under pressure, so it's way hotter than just like a pot of boiling water, and then you wind up processing the stuff, you know, for sometimes an hour or more. And so, yeah, you're really cooking the hell out of it. So it's it's hard to gauge. Well, I mean, it's hard to avoid. I mean, it's just part. That's of what the- I'm saying. You just don't know, you know. Yeah. Like for like when I go to do one of the things I like to cook is just to do uh, corn meat in a pressure cooker, yeah. and you can't look. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're just like I don't know. Sometimes you blast it. Sometimes you open it up and it's not ready. Sometimes you open it up and it's like broth. You know, you don't know. But what was with the steel canner? Like, you don't use it anymore. You know, I still have it. I just haven't used it in a while. And I, I, I keep thinking I'm going to, but it's essentially the same process. Um, is it supposed to be cheaper or what? No, it's actually more expensive. And that's, it is? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, when you're, when you're working with glass jars, they're reusable. All you need to do is buy in the in the in the the rings that seal down the lids are reusable and the only thing you're buying are the are the lids you yeah know, and they're less than a buck a piece but when you're canning in steel jars you need you know you're placing the whole jar the whole can every time you know and they're they're kind of expensive actually just to buy them locally. so what's the selling point just it's that you don't they're you portable can't they're light they're yeah. unbreakable yeah so it's nice for you know going on trips and things you yep. know, not lugging glass around oh for sure man yeah you know when we were kids like we had uh our laundry room doubled as a canning room. Like it was kind of that era when people were really into canning. I think. Yeah, a little back to the earth. And my mom had all these shelves in the basement, and she would can venison, just cube up venison, do it so you like cube up venison, pack it into the jar raw, pour water on it. Sometimes water and mustard. Sometimes like a thin barbecue sauce, and then 
vaporize it in that can. But it was good, man. It like is. sandwiches yeah, I remember and stuff like that. eating that stuff. And I, I, I started doing that again very recently. Yeah. And w- when I did it, I did it just like mom used to do it, just chunks of, well, I wasn't venison, well, it was, it was moose, not deer, but just chunks of moose meat in a jar and just straight into the, straight into the pressure cooker, like just like mom did it. And, and that turned out pretty good, but the, the other thing I did that I think improved it substantially was just browning it first. Oh, is that right? And then packing it in a jar. But no sauce or anything? Nope. Nope. A little bit of salt. Salt. Yeah, a pinch of salt. That's all I put in there. Yep. Just water and salt. Yep. yep. And very little water. You don't even... Yeah. Okay. Do you put water in? I put. You don't have to, but I do. I do. Not not all the way up. Maybe half three quarters of the way up. That's what's funny about the smoked puss. It's in a. It's sealed, but it just the pieces of puss bounce around in there like marbles. Yeah. Man. Oh, that. Did you put water in there? No, oh, yeah. I don't. I don't generally put water in. So that's all just salmon fat in that that's jar. Salmon right there. oil yeah. in there. But that that um, jarred chunked meat, especially the stuff that I browned first. Like if you're in a hurry and you didn't thaw out, you know meat for dinner and you just take some of that and, it, and you can just sh- shred it you know with a fork in a pan and brown it and make tacos out of it or yeah or just brown, throw it on a sandwich or whatever it's it's like super fast and it's really good throw a little barbecue sauce yep. in there oh yeah barbecue it's basically just like having a leftover pot roast that you can shred instead it just comes off a, out of a jar on the shelf that's the, the last time i canned a bunch of meat it was for that reason, and that's what I use it for, is when you screw up and you don't thaw something Yeah, out. exactly. Like, no. you don't know, like, you, whatever, you go away, you're, like, you're doing something to your kids or something, and you come home, and you're like, man, I didn't thaw anything out, and it's so late, and everything's screwed up, and you're like, I'm either going to have to, like, go order a pizza now or something. <laughs> yep. I would take that can and open it up and do it. Oh, make some tacos. Yeah. Yeah, cause yeah. It's like, you just, that way you can stay on a, you can stay on a good, you know, game kick without, without, without blowing it off. But the last thing I canned, not long ago, is I just made, we did this thing called a mixed boil where we boiled like tongue, all kinds of stuff in a pot, and the liquid was so good. I just canned all that. It was salted already, very salty. So you can't reduce it down to make like oh, a demi-gloss yeah. or something because it'd be like overpoweringly salty. But I jarred that, and now that stuff's soup in a can. Like you pour that stuff out, you, don't, you just add anything to it and it's good. Yeah. You can put a carrot in there and it tastes good, man, you know? I did... 12 quarts of that stuff over thanksgiving and i'm down to two quarts now yeah. so i've done i've eaten 10 quarts in the last couple months you know that that's something that both brand and i've been doing over the last several years now is it's just bringing a whole bunch of bones and making a bunch of stock out of them and so what do you guys do when you're doing that How, like what'd you make what'd you do to make the goat stock so roast cut up quarter bunch of onions peppers carrots celery Leave the skin on the onions. That's um, one of the things I've learned. The skins help give it that nice dark color. So quarter all the veggies. A lot of recipes, a lot of recipes you'll find will say, you know, kind of do the veggies and the bones together. But I go a little bit bigger. So I'll go just a, an entire baking sheet of veggies, roast them till they're good and brown. Maybe put a little oil on them. Then do ribs, ribs or femurs. Uh, radius all know whatever whatever bones you have handy roast those good till they're good and brown throw them all in the pot cover them with water and then simmer them real low for as long as you can stand it like days i usually can get it done in a day and then i'll let it cool down overnight because then all that um that fat will solidify on the surface yeah and it's really easy to pull off yeah if you set it outside it comes off like a frisbee yeah, yeah. exactly yep do you strain yours? 
I do several times. Cheesecloth. So I use paper towels and a colander. Yeah. Yeah, I run through wire and I run over cheesecloth. No, for no reason other than it just looks. It's nice a static. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. The stock's got to look good, man. It's got to be clear. Like I don't want it to be cloudy. Yep. yep. It doesn't. Honestly, it doesn't alter the flavor or the utility of it. Usually, you're going through all the trouble doing it. Yeah. It's like it's just so easy to run. Even even like a nylon or something, man, you run it through there to pull it out, you know. Um, and then definitely get that fat off. But that that fat, like we're, earlier we were talking about, Pooter and the Slim Fast. I was sick to. It. He, <laughs> such a hard story to tell, but you know what I'm going to talk about. Oh. Oh. So one night out, we're out drinking and we're talking about ice fishing at night. We're talking about late night ice fishing. Okay, like ice fishing all night. Later that night, Pooter starts telling a story about the way he likes to cook sausages, where he will add a bunch of butter to them and then cook them, and then they'll eat sausages, and they'll leave them in the boiling liquid and put it in the fridge. So, you know, the fat sets up like a white thing. So hours go by after our ice fishing conversation, and this comes up, and Pooter says, I'll, I'll remember this sentence for the rest of my life. Of his sausages, he says, <laughs> now you want to talk about some late-night ice fishing. <laughs> Auger a hole through that and see if you can't pull out one of them lunkers. <laughs> Speak of <laughs> trying to break through the layer of fat to pull out one of his sausages. All right. Done with Pooter. So canning, that's like a basic rundown on canning. Now I have like charcuterie written down. But then I got it broken down. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator 
to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months... I've become friends with, and my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp phenomenal hunting knives if you want to see them in action we just did uh me and uh john hayes the taxidermist just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear um watch that video and in that video you'll see montana knife company knives in action mkc products usually sell out in minutes of being released which is true but now for the first time They're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. So I want to talk about drying because one of the things we have, you guys should check this out, is I have mood. Where is it? That's Brasola right there. Try this. I just washed all the mold off for you guys. What is it? That's off a shoulder. So Shoulder of what? That's moose, chunk of moose oh, shoulder. Okay. Brant's moose. Oh, Matt, Matt Carlson. This stuff is good, Matt man. Carlson's really dialed in on this stuff, too. Now, all this is, so you make a cure. Like you take a piece of meat that's about as big around as a piece of French bread or a loaf of French bread, half as much as long, and... Pack it in a cure. It sits in the cure for a while. And then I put it into this thing called the Umai dry bag, which is like normally to make air dried meat, you got to put it in cheesecloth and have the perfect temperature and shit to hang it up in your, you know, whatever, like a pastry room or something. But the bag, the Umai bag, some people hate it. I love it because you put it in your fridge and put it on a rack and just cure it in air. So you can do like all kinds of things. You can do prosciutto, anything in the bag. It just takes longer, but you don't need to tend to it. Yeah. Now, Hank Shaw, he says he don't like those bags at all. But he's got higher standards than I have. This is delicious. Like I, I'm telling you, yeah. man, I put that in the salt sugar cure. Then I put it in that bag, and I put it in there around Thanksgiving. It's been in there months. And every week, I poke it. And when it gets to be like, like if you make a fist, a tight fist, and poke the space between your thumb knuckle and your pointer finger knuckle, and when it gets to feel like firm, like when you're making a tight fist and you push that patch of shit or whatever that is right there, your hide. <laughs> Bustle. I'm telling you, man. And then I run it through a slicer. I have a deli slicer. Okay. Now, Carlson makes it the same way without yep. doing the Umai bags. His is harder. Let's it go longer. 
I could make that like a brick. Yeah. It's just like, so is this a bag just like semi permeable? Semi permeable. Slows it. Okay. Semi permeable. I know a guy. I don't want to. I don't. I know a guy. I don't want to know who it is. I don't. I can tell you who it is. But I know a guy who sent some of that material off to a lab to find out what exactly is it and is it patent protected, and they couldn't figure out what the hell it was. Really? Yeah. So I don't know what it is. It works, man. But here's the thing: it's soft because that's the middle. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's harder. If I, if I waited for the middle to be perfect. So anyways, this stuff you never cook it, the brassola. It's like B-R-E-S-A-O-L-A. You never cook it. So you cure it, and then you let it dry. Then you slice it, and it's like jerky. It's never been smoked, never been cooked, never been nothing. It's the best thing on the planet, man. It gets a white mold on it. Hank Shaw said, don't worry about the white mold. I hit a, hit a Twitter message to the Umai people. They said, don't worry about the white mold. Yeah, how thick is that mold on the outside? Not like a mill. Just a little layer. Then. A layer. Okay. Very easy to wash off. But that stuff, man, my kids like that junk. Yeah, my kids would like that too. I love it. I, that's just like a dried, like dried meat. You know? I've, I've only tried it once. And I just hung a chunk like on a hook on a you know 18-inch piece of string in the garage at 50-some degrees for months. Waited for that same tenderness too, and it was good. It had this flavor, but it also had this little bit of a little fermented, yeah, a little bit of twang that was tough. This and has a tiny bit of twang. Well, don't you hang duck breasts up in your shed? Back when I used to duck hunt, yeah. <laughs> Did it never turned out? Oh, they were okay. They were dry. Yeah, they, they were edible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they they weren't as good as that. No, that stuff is good. I think that. White mold on meat is kind of appetizing too. That might sound a little weird, but well, like sausages, out of salami, yeah, like yeah. salami is just on there. Yeah, man. It's, I think it's beautiful. A buddy of mine who's a chef, man, he says uh, black fuzzy mold is the only mold he cares about. Oh, the only mold he avoids. He don't like black yeah. fuzzy mold. He don't give a shit about green mold, white mold. Black fuzzy mold is trouble. Yeah, you ever made sauerkraut? Yeah. Oh, not mold. You skim off that oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That stuff. Yeah, that stuff gets rank. Um, the best jerky I ever had was definitely in Hawaii hunting with the uh, guys on Molokai who just do air dry jerky where they teriyaki the jerky and then they got boxes because all the bugs screened in boxes. They just set the box out in the sun for days and days and days. And the screen keeps the bugs out. And their jerky is the best thing, man. Never heat, never touches it. You know? This recipe right here is out of uh, that's out of Ruhlman's book, Charcuterie. Which, in my mind, is the Bible on all things cured and dried meat. I mean, it's just like his stuff. It's like, there's not a ton of stuff in there. It's a pretty, it's slim. The book is slim. He doesn't give thousands of variations of everything. But it's like, I've, had, I've never had anything out of Ruleman's book not work. And I've done it all with Wild Game. And I was fortunate to sit down and talk to him for a long time with it and like, you know, about doing Wild Game. And he messes around with Wild Game a lot. And just like, he doesn't see any reason why the preparations aren't the same. And it's weird, like, when you look at cookbooks, like, you remember that, like probably the number one selling wild game book of all times that ll bean cookbook yeah yeah and it's like <laughs> here's an antelope recipe here's a moose recipe so we always get messages from people being like do you have any moose recipes i'm like i don't like that doesn't mean anything to me it's like you, the recipe should follow the where you cut the chunk of what chunk of the animal it is 
like there's shank there should be shank recipes backstrap recipes meat ground recipes. meat recipes <laughs> meat recipes yeah it's like there's no such thing as a moose recipe no you know but uh th- that's the other thing that i find the point i was going to raise about that is i don't spend a lot of time mess I-, I don't spend a lot of time even looking at wild game cookbooks i just look at cookbooks of people who do stuff i like and then just over time you kind of get a sense of what you can pull off or not with game you know so we'll say though about that ll bean cookbook like he does have it broken out by all the different species. His asabuco is antelope asabuco. That's right, yeah. Well, I've, but what about the raccoon recipes and the muskrat recipes and the beaver recipes? Like, mm-hmm. you, would you do moose You're like right that? There. No, no. That's, that's why, trying to cover up That's not stuff. what I say. I say hooved game. <laughs> hooved game. Now, yeah, don't. In the guidebook, which is not a cookbook, but in the cooking section of the forthcoming guidebook, that we've been working on for years now. We treat it as hooved game. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. Hooved game. And then you got clawed game, which is a narrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bear. Like bear, I do stuff with bear that I would not do with anything else. You know, I don't eat bear steaks. You know. Um, what do you guys what's your main jerky? Like do you have do you guys do jerky? Yeah. Remember Dar growing up, like not growing up later, late Dar like dad's yeah yeah fishing buddy did Dar he was uh he was scoffing at the idea of making jerky. That's probably like the last time we ever hunted with him. Oh, when we were on the slope? No, 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 no. We oh. were hunting rabbits, and I remember because like my old girlfriend finally took a rabbit. Like how? What percentage of rabbits are squeal when you shoot them? <laughs> like one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I finally get my girlfriend to go rabbit hunting. First rabbit we shoot. <laughs> I'm like, you got me because it never happens. Oh, my God. On that trip, which was a long time ago, Dar said, I just eat everybody else's jerky. <laughs> you well, just want to waste, do, you just waste his own deer meat when everybody else brings it into work for him. You guys do jerky? Like, what do you do? You know, I, I'm, I'm the, only, the only real insight I have on jerky is I really like it cut with... The grain, I yeah, think. I disagree completely with that. <laughs> I think it's. I think it tastes kind of mushy if you cut it across. The I don't grain. like cross grain jerky. Yeah, I like it with the grain. You like cut cross grain? I like to cut it. Just it cro- tastes all dried out. No, I, no, it's actually got moisture in it. I like to cut it thicker though. Like, I like it to be more like, um, like that. Like, it's not technically called jerky if you were to buy it in a gas station. It's like a steak cut that's jerkied. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I like to make it more like that, where it's more like you're biting into a dry piece of steak as opposed to a dry piece of cardboard that doesn't taste good. I wouldn't even be able to tell if it's done your way, because when I'm making jerky, my test is when I can, when I bend it, does it not snap and does it reveal white fibrous lines? Oh, that's just so overdone, man. Oh, really? Like... I like to do you my know what jer- I'm talking about? Oh, I, I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. That's what I, like, I see that and I'm not you interested. You don't give yeah. the dog. <laughs> I like to have my jerky done as, as much as if you're doing, like, say, smoked salmon. You know, like, more like the doneness as if you threw a steak on the grill and cooked it. Yeah. But dry and cured. You know? I got you. you know, I, I'm ashamed to say this. Like, I wish it wasn't true. But in my mind, 
Not that I have any problem with this company. I don't even, I can't think of the name of the company. But in my mind, the best jerky that I make is when I buy the like when you see those kits with the cure and the seasoning. Like I have done many, many, and I have experimented with them back and forth. But like just for reliable crowd pleaser jerky that your four year old is gonna like. Those little kits. The kits, yeah, they are. Yeah. It's just good, man, yeah. you know? Key ingredient, man. MSG. MSG. <laughs> yeah. It may, and it's so Makes easy. everything good. Listen, I, I, I say this with shame. Like I'm like a guy like I'm like a like a guy who's admitting this, you know what I mean? I say it with shame. I'm not proud of it, but I'm just saying it. it's like if someone said, uh make jerky to please the masses, I would do that kind of jerky. Because there's something in there that changes the meat, you know what I mean? Like, you can't go and make gas station jerky. I can try. What? Like, But a friend of mine pointed out, you can't make a Dorito. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? People say, like, what's the weirdest thing you ever ate? I'm always like, Cool Ranch Doritos. You go try to make me a Cool Ranch Dorito in your house. I don't care how much shopping you do. You will never make a Cool Ranch Dorito. That is science. And gas station jerky is not actually, it might be people meat. I don't know what it is, man. No, I hear what you're saying. There's a difference between, I mean, what we kind of try to do, all of our, what we're talking about is processed meat, but we're still trying to somewhat stay away from the overly processed. Exactly. And I'd say as a general goal of eating game pretty much every day, what I try to stay away from is the overly processed food while I still process. We were talking about cooking our, canning our meat at 225 degrees for an hour. Or, yeah. I mean, it's processed, but trying to, quote unquote, keep it pure. And so, yeah, trying to do something that's as processed as a Dorito, you're not going to do it, but do you want to do that? No, I, I'm with you. Now, do you, uh, do you do or do you not do uh, pink salt on recipes? I rock kosher salt, man. So you don't do pink salt number one, pink salt number two on like cured hams and stuff like that? No, I don't. I don't go with nitrates either in like my summer sausage. No, that, yeah, it's that nitrate. nitrate, nitrate, nitrate. Right, yeah. One's a nitrate, one's a nitrate. Yeah. I don't nope. know if it's one or two. I just, there's no empirical evidence to suggest that you shouldn't. I do, but I always feel like worried about it, but then you can't find any real reason to be worried about it. Yeah, I haven't looked into the science on it, but you always hear it's bad for kids. They used to give it to inmates to keep their libido down. Saltpeter. Oh, that's straight saltpeter. Petered out. <laughs> they would give them saltpeter to keep them from sodomizing each other. I've heard that one. You have heard that or not? No, I have not. Yeah. I don't know if it worked or not. You heard that, Mike? Mike's knowingly shaking his head. <laughs> Mike's, is that what you had in jail? <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. To service our sponsors, we'll be right back. Pink salt one. So if you don't know what we're talking about, when you're looking at recipes for any kind of any kind of cured meat that that's striving toward some sort of like shelf stable attributes like hams and stuff, you'll often see where people want prog powder, which is pink salt one, or pink salt one. Or uh, what other names do you ever see it as? It's about it. Prague powder and pink salt. One is a nitrate. One is a nitrite. And the difference between the two, I could look it up right now. Someone can look it up. One is that um, 
la- like one tends to last longer. Yeah, I don't I don't know the difference. Anyways, most stuff has pink salt one in it. I use it. A lot of people have an idea that you shouldn't be dicking around with it. And some people say that the only thing you get out of it anyways is it does make, it makes stuff vibrant red. So when you eat like an old red, like, you know, they used to call hot dogs like reds or red hot or something like that because they had a super vibrant red to them. That comes from that pink salt. And when you do corned meat, you put the pink salt in there and it really makes – because if you make like corned meat for St. Paddy's Day – It'll always get this sort of grayishness as you get in. The cure doesn't penetrate, you know, and it gets gray in the middle. You do like you put pink salt in there, and that some bitch is pink, you know, all pink inside. Morton's tender quick. I mean, that, that's what I use, but it's, it, loaded, with it's it. loaded with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like basically salt with nitrates added to it. I think. Yeah, it's sugar and yeah, salt, sugar, ton of sugar and nitrates. You're saying the only thing it does. Technically, is the color, but the no, whole purpose it, of it is that it it's a preservative. It does right? color, but it also has it, it functions as a preservative. So and that's where the potential health concerns come in because you're basically yeah. pickling your stomach. Yeah, or I don't even know. I've never read like a I've never read a compelling thing about it. But it's just like some stuff is so. When it comes to this issue, like not eating things or eating things, I I tend to think we're not done making colossal mistakes, right? Like, we laugh, like, can you believe people used to, you know, whatever? Like, people used to be out playing and they'd be spraying DDT on them. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. That joke isn't done being funny. Our kids will say, can you believe about something we're doing right now? And yeah, is it, might it be, it's not going to be drinking water, it's going to be like something like that. Oh, yeah, tree to drink. I'm sorry, yeah, tree to drink. Yeah, it could be the tree to drink and water. Let me make it there. It's not going to be that they're baffled that we used to just eat deer meat. <laughs> They'll be baffled that we used to put pink salt on that shit. <laughs> um, I'll move down the line. Freezing. I got a million things to say about this. I believe... For red meat, hooved game meat, the best thing to do is to wrap it very tightly in plastic wrap, saran wrap. I don't care. I don't, I'm not saying saran wrap. You know what I mean? Like saran style plastic wrap, cling wrap. Wrap it very tight in cling wrap. The good stuff, not the cheap stuff. Buy it on, uh, buy the big ass rolls on Amazon. Because it just they never end like the eighteen hundred foot rolls. Um, it seems like you're taking it in the shorts, but then you realize that three years later you still have the same roll of saran wrap. And then I do a layer of waxed freezer paper, wax side in, very tight. And I'm telling you, you can eat meat done that way if you trim all the fat off it, the tallow off it, for years later. Absolutely. Yep. It gets better with time. It peaks at about one year. <laughs> I'd say Dan, <laughs> Danny doesn't like people. You know, like age, like people age meat. Well, we should talk about age and meat. That's the, we we have to we have to back up in time because we're on to F and we need to go back to A. But we should really talk about aging meat. But Danny, when you kill a moose, talk about your theory on moose. Like when you kill it, when you eat it. Oh yeah, I I I 
it's like seasoning firewood, man. I put it, <laughs> I put it in the freezer and forget about it for you know till next till next fall. I mean, if I can, um, because it's pretty tough when you go when it goes into the freezer. The hunting season in Alaska is in August, September for moose. That's the funny thing about Alaska is like. You guys are doing all your stuff in it's, August and September. It's, yeah, it's basically summertime, and then hunting season ends when fall comes. And like when know? people down in Lower Forty Eight are getting all fired up for like November gun deer, it's like full on balls out winter. There's like yeah. nothing going on. We're up getting here. out the ice fishing gear and the skis, man. <laughs> so you get home from moose hunting, and you've got you know hundreds and hundreds of pounds of meat, but it's you know in town it might be sixty degrees in the daytime, so you can't hang it. Flies everywhere. Flies everywhere. So you know you're just in. A, it's a race to get the thing in the freezer. You can't age it. You can't you know hang it at all. When I think of anguish, I think of pick and blow fly larvae. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's bad. And so you know, depending on the, the 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 moose, man. Like sometimes if you just were to cut a steak off a hindquarter that you just brought home from the mountains, I mean, it is so tough that it's. I mean, it's almost inedible. But yeah, Metal- rap- metallic too, you know. You know, I don't know it's the flavor. I just know it's like can't chew the, the damn thing. You know thing. that 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 irony, like that mo- that that gets tempered in time. I feel. Mm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sensitive to that. But so Steve, I've told you about this. But two years ago, Matt Carlson and I did an experiment. We were we shot those moose, couple moose, and it was the same thing as Dan was describing: time crunch, hot out, had to just process right away. So. Of the two moose, we put seven quarters, back straps, everything in the freezer. Then we kept one quarter, and we aged it. Matt kept on it for a week and butchered it, labeled it completely separately. I will say that that aged meat for the first two, three months, it was better. But after three months of the stuff that didn't age, I preferred that for the next year. Is that right? The stuff that was aged, once you got out a year after... It had been frozen. It was actually, it had a little bit stronger taste, and it was drier. Yeah. But immediately, the first couple months, it was definitely better. I'll t- there's so much. We are now talking about aging. I'm going to get back to freezing, but I'm, I'm going to tell two aging anecdotes to say that I don't know the answer to this. Years ago, when I was in graduate school, my roommate shot a calf elk with his rifle. So it's already a calf elk. Right, it was like late. It's like February, so it's kind of beyond calf elkiness. Shot a calf elk with his rifle, and we hung that thing in my garage. And the weather in Missoula is just perfect. Where we never froze any of that thing. We hung in the garage. It was like twenty degrees at night, up into the low thirties during the daytime. And we hung it and hung it, and it got to be where I'm not kidding you. You could shove your thumb into that elk. Yeah. Best thing I ever had. It was so good. We ate the whole thing. Hide on or off? Off. Skinned off. Okay. It'd get a rind on it. You'd cut that rind away. We'd cut a leg off, get some meat off the leg, lay the leg laying on a tool cabinet or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and it just got better and better and better. Now, I always butcher my own stuff, but a couple years ago, we did an elk hunt in Kentucky, and due to heat issues and other travel considerations, I had did something that I haven't done in forever. Brought the meat, brought the whole elk, bull elk, not an old bull. How old do you think that bull was, Yanni? Yeah. Brought him down to a guy, and he hung the elk for 10 days. In controlled circumstances, 
And I felt like that elk hanging 10 days wasn't, it still needed to go in the freezer for a long time. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I don't think you're hurting anything by aging it, but there's just like, I think it's, it's so variable by the animal, by all kinds of climatic conditions probably. I don't really know, but I know this. You don't pull, you cannot pull a piece of meat out of your freezer that's been in a year and tell me it's tough. It doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, we went to when Eric Kern, a friend of ours, Eric Kern, a friend of ours from back home, we like had kept in touch with because he lives in Montana. He got married, and he was marrying a, a, a gal whose neighbor was out of town the weekend they got married. And the guy, out of the goodness of his heart, says, "Well, why don't you allow some wedding guests to stay in my home?" Because I'm out of town anyways. So they let the groomsmen, of which I was included and my brother Matt was included, stay in this house. So we're staying in a man's home who's lent his home to strangers. Matt looks in the man's freezer and is horrified to find that this guy has a bull elk from five or seven years. I don't, it was ridiculous. In the bottom of his freezer. Like it just has that look like no one's ever going to eat this elk. Obviously not. So Matt thought it's wrong to steal. But it's not as wrong. I love that you and Matt looked in some dude's freezer, by the way. (laughs) That's awesome. He's like, it's wrong to steal, but it's not as wrong as letting this bull elk rot or get inevitably tossed out when this guy drops some box and knocks the cord out of his freezer and it shuts down or he just throws it out. He's not going to eat it. If he's going to eat it, would he eat it? And Matt took it, and that elk was fine. Not, it was definitely like you could. It was edible. It was. I bet edible. the outsides were dry. Yeah, it was. Well, you had to trim. Yeah. It was edible. It wasn't fine. It was edible. It wasn't going to get eaten. And I, I, I think about that. I don't want to say I think about that every day, but that was a bold move because Matt doesn't do things lightly. Like he really weighs. He's not like he's not impulsive. He's not morally impulsive. It was an affront to him. This same guy, Matt once killed a bull elk that was just the most horrifically tough animal I've ever been involved in. And he gave up eating anything for a while but boiled cabbage. Because he didn't want to waste any of his jaw power (laughs) on anything but chewing up his elk. So at night, he would eat boiled cabbage and his elk. And I'm telling you, if he had froze that thing for two years, if he just been like, okay, that never happened. It froze it for a year. That thing would have been fine. Would have helped. I can't give any hard and fast USDA stats or anything, but I just feel that this is true. I don't think anyone at this table disagrees. Oh, in, in, in regard to tenderness? The, the oh. Freezing meat yeah. makes it taste better. Now, which brings us to, I used to hate vacuum-sealed bags because they always pop, but I realized they pop because of handling and in some circumstances it's just impossible to transport them but vac bags are not bad if you treat them so delicately but if you're the kind of guy who likes to get in your freezer and start digging around you're going to pop all your freezer bags i pack them between layers of newsprint now because the same thing i'm talking about saran wrap and wax paper for red meat but that doesn't work for fish i don't think I don't like it on salmon, I don't like it on halibut, I don't like it on freshwater fish, perch, bass, bluegills, I don't like that stuff. I like to use vac seal. But when you vac seal, you can't mess with that bag and bang it. 
It also helps the wrap and saran wrap before you vacuum seal it. Was you that right? That? No. I like no to do that. Me, no one told me about this. Works good for a couple of reasons. First, it keeps the sometimes you know the the liquids will get in when it's trying to Into seal. The seal, absolutely. Yep. So and corrupt the seal. Yep. So it prevents that. I also think it provides some protection if there's any pin bones from accidentally yeah. popping the seal. And then if you do break a seal, you still got a layer of protection on the fish. That's a good idea. So it's an extra step, but you I know, uh, we. I can't remember what I was going to say. In the, well, I try to remember what I was going to say. Do you remember one time we went back, we were fishing halibut at the shack and came back with all our halibut packaged and stuffed into a rubberized dry bag? Yeah, I've done that a few times, yeah. And then emptied it out into the freezer, and then a couple of weeks went by, and there was the most horrendous smell coming from your gear room. Oh, from the dry bag? And we kept going in there. And taking everything out of that room, and no one would ever look in the dry bag. And we eventually found a pack of halibut. Oh, that's right. In a dry bag. And so we disassembled this room multiple times until someone finally says, I'm going to look in all the bags. I forgot. Because we thought it was a dead rat or something. (laughs) It was a pack of halibut, man. God, that smelled. You know what's funny? That, that same room got it was really stuck up pretty bad by a by a bag of dog poop that I while walking my dog and I picked up his poop and stuffed it in a little bag and had it in a backpack or a coat pocket or something hanging in that hot furnace room and months went by and oh the same thing except worse. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing about urban dog ownership. Like I like I, I, temp. I don't have the temperament for dog owning, but urban dog ownership is like seeing people out. Like, as a kid, you know, your dogs just ran. You didn't, like, associate with their droppings. No. But it's so intimate in an urban environment when you got to take your dog out. Just, it's still, like, steaming in the morning air, man. You yeah. got to bag it up and walk around. Turn that it, bag take, inside out. Take pick the, it up. Feel, take the most feel it biodegradable substance on the planet and put it inside. A bag. An unbiodegradable substance and throw it in the trash. Yeah. I'm going to run through a couple things. Giblets, freezing giblets, I do, back bag, or I'll take just a milk carton or something like that and freeze them, put a layer in, cover it with water, freeze it, then you kill a couple more birds, put the gizzards and hearts and livers on top of the ice, add another couple inches of water till they're covered, freeze it, and I do perch that way. Like if you're just dinking around, like catching a couple of perch now and then, Flay them, throw them in there, add to it, add to it, add to it, add to it, and then eventually you got like a big thing of frozen flays in water. I think that for freezing, freshwater, like low-fat freshwater fish, bass, bluegills, perch, I still freeze them in water. You know? It's just because nothing happens to it. You freeze salmon in water and it goes to hell. It looks like hell. But you can freeze those like white flesh freshwater things. Thawing? How do you guys thaw? Countertop? Warm water or the countertop. Yeah. We don't have a microwave. You don't use a microwave in the house? I don't like them. Why not? Because they're going to make you sick? No, no. It's just because they, they, if you're trying to thaw something in the microwave, it gets all cooked on the outside and brown and gross, and it still frozen oh, in the yeah, middle. Yeah. No, and I'm not like Joe right. Mike. I'm no. not Joe it's Microwave. Like dis- disrespectful. Yeah. We, yeah. Go, we, go, we go days without using our microwave. Yeah. No, but you throw, I mean, for thawing fish, especially if it's vacuum packed, just throw it in some lukewarm water and it's thawed in no time and real even and doesn't 
cook it. And- in culinary school, which I did not attend, they are like ice water bath to thaw. Oh, really? But I do, I do lukewarm water. If it's a vac bag, I do lukewarm water to thaw it. When I'm doing saran freezer paper thawing, I um, just set it out on the countertop. If you're really smart, if you know like you're in town, like it's Sunday, and you know you're in town all week doing work, you know you're cooking dinner every night, I'll try to go down to my freezer and like pull what I'm going to be eating then. Instead of doing that every day where you're pulling, like, what am I going to eat tonight? You pull it, and it's not thawed in time. And you're like, oh, you're cutting it up. You weren't planning on cutting it up, but now you're cutting it up because it's not, you know. When I grind meat, like, when I, when I kill, if I kill an animal in the fall, and I don't really feel like getting into sausage making, and I don't feel like getting into um, all the business, I'll take all the boned-out meat that I'm going to use to grind. I'll pack it in gallon-sized Ziplocs and just freeze those big gallon-sized Ziplocs. If I'm in a super hurry, I don't even trim it. It's fatty. It's whatever. Tallow in there. I just freeze it in those bags. There's hair in there. And then I'll periodically pull a gallon-sized bag out, weigh it, thaw out so I got 10% fat, pork or beef tallow that I'm going to put in there. And then I'll grind that gallon-sized bag of meat. And when I grind it like that, I thaw it until it's still icy and then run through my grinder. Yeah. Then, and everybody says you can't do this, but it's total bullshit that you can't do this. I will then, so I thaw it, grind it, pull off whatever I'm going to make that night, and then I will bag it in those. I always do my burger in those little poly bags, which are the best thing on the planet, man. The ones you grind right into. Yeah, you buy yeah. like 10,000 like, of them for a dollar or whatever. You got a little tape applicator. Yeah, I got a tape applicator. I will thaw the big block, grind it, poly bag it, Back in the freezer. And you cannot tell me you can't do that. Uh, yeah. I have done it with hundreds and hundreds of pounds of meat. Yeah, same here. And you can Pepsi challenge it up and down. There is, wherever that comes from, is BS. You can't do that. How about on a steak? You're talking about burger. What about a steak? Yeah, because I'll sometimes, if I'm in a hurry, I'll come home and I'll throw a whole deer's leg in my freezer. Tag and the, the ball still hanging off it. The evidence of sex hanging off it. In a game bag in my freezer, I'll pull that leg out, thaw that whole leg, part it out, freeze my steaks, thaw them back out, and eat them later. It is there delicious. is no difference. But when Not you thaw no out your steaks, it's still good. Would you throw us one of those back in the freezer? I just can't imagine the situation where that would happen. Like I thawed something out, and someone's like, "Hey, man, you want to come over for dinner?" And I'm like, "Oh." No, oh. I, would, I don't imagine doing that. If I thaw a big chunk of meat and I cut some steaks off of it or if I only want half of it or whatever, I'll throw it back in the freezer. I do it all the time. I don't have a problem with it. I tend to agree. I feel bad doing it. Because they like, always told you you can't do it. Yeah, kind of like you shouldn't thaw something in the microwave, which I really try not to. I'd rather thaw it in yeah. the fridge, but I will in the microwave. Thaw it in the microwave. You know what I wish was here is, uh, I mentioned a couple of times, Hank Shaw probably has, like, he probably has a lot of answers to stuff like this because he, he gets, he, he's, he's, he thinks like that. But thawing in the microwave, I feel it sheds tons of liquid that it doesn't shed otherwise. Like if I took duplicate pieces of meat and thawed it in the micro, there's going to be a bunch of bloody watery garbage in the bottom of the, on the plate. 
it wouldn't be there had I, if I thought it in my fridge. It's somehow like coming off fast. Somehow like the way the crystals are coming apart. I don't know. It seems to shed water. It just is kind of nasty. And then like Dane says, it gets warm and like brown and. I uh, eat for, I will thaw red meat in warm water too. That's something that I disagree with completely. I I stand by it. I totally in a waterproof it, bag. Get it naked? No, no. I I just I'll unwrap it. But you can't get the you know. I'll take the the freezer paper off. You can't get the cling wrap off until yeah, it's yeah. thawed. You know. Now just take the cling wrap meat. Just throw it and throw it in some lukewarm water. I don't like that. It thaws pretty quick. And when you pull it out, it's just kind of soggy, you know. And I just, I take some newspaper. Looks like someone has been drowned. No, trust me, man. Trust me. Try this. And the water's all red. The water's all red. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It just ain't right. But that's that liquid that cooks out of it anyway. But you take, so take, you got the soggy piece of meat that, that just thawed and just take some newspaper and just roll it up in that newspaper and just put some Squeeze weight out of it. all that water out of it. Yep, and all that, and that newspaper will soak up a bunch of water. And then you're reading your meat because that newspaper's, <laughs> that newspaper's never going to yeah. come off. And and just take that piece of meat and just set it on the counter on a plate. And like in ten minutes, it's pretty and it's red. But how do you ever get the newspaper off it? It just it just peels off. It doesn't. It is. It's not like those little Play-Doh things you get. Where you like, silly putty. No. You run it over a newspaper doesn't, and it picks the. Doesn't ink pick off. up the color. It doesn't pick up the ink. No, I, to try it sometime. Try. I, yeah, I will. I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. I've eaten meat that you've thawed that way and cooked, and it was delicious. You never but know. I can't. There's no way I could. Do I don't that. like the look. I yeah. just, just like set it, it on your. I don't like drown stuff. Dry it off. Set it on your counter, and it, it'll sit in the air, and it'll. And in ten minutes, it's all red and pretty, and you, you'd never know. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator 
to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Dude, what? Here's the thing. Like, this, this is gonna sound a little weird. Like, when I used to do a lot of fur trapping for muskrats and stuff, like you'd rig up drowner wires or stuff. You remember this, Dan? But and you come, the trap's gone. You know, and the wire's going down in the water. So, like, oh, I got one. You know, and and sometimes you had these one way slides, so you had to reach down in there and feeling around, groping around. You know. And you'd feel the hair, and I'd always have like these nightmares when I trap that you'd reach down and there'd be like a human's hair down there. And I'm telling you, I don't like just like meat floating in water. water. I just can't stand it, man. But again, those guys in Hawaii that made the best jerky I ever had, they kill a deer. The first thing they start doing is filling up buckets with water, and they put a bunch of salt in it, and they just dump oh, all that meat yeah. in for the night. It Here's is what, good. Yeah, what I'll say too, I'm looking at them like, what in the world are you doing? Ducks and geese, man. Waterfowl, soak them in salt water. It makes them better. Really? Yep. Oh, but I, yeah, would, talk- I couldn't stay, I couldn't imagine doing that to a moose roast or a whitetail no, roast. No, man, these boys did. Though, and that stuff come out looking like pale. It yeah. looked like pulling out Wonder Bread out of a bucket, man. <laughs> it still tastes good, but it just, like, just kind of sticks me out. You know, what I, are you taking out of the meat when you do that? I have no you idea. Know? I have no idea. Blood for sure, but I don't know what else. I just feel like you're degrading it. Like when you take like you take a black Angus like prime beef steak, they don't soak that stuff in water. <laughs> they don't want whatever's in that meat. They I don't just, want that leaching out I into just, the water. I, I just don't think it's irreparable. I just think it it, it can be fixed. You know. Yeah, oh, when I, I when I was down at the cabin last fall, I shot a little buck with Ron Layton in his you know in his boat, and and he not from the boat. No, no, but he but we 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 we, 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 we motored. <laughs> we motored. 
we motored in this boat, and then and then and then we you know we brought the boat the deer back to the cabin in the boat. But on the way back home, you know, we stopped and dropped the front gate, and I, he made me rinse that thing out for a That's long. That's why he says time. his deer meat's good. He says his deer meat's better than anybody else's, yeah. and he says it's because it pickles it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was, <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> It's kind of a, just hunched over the front of that boat, just grabbing that little buck by the antlers and just up and down and up and down. And he just made me do it for probably 20 minutes. You know, I was getting pretty it. wore out. But, you know, took it back and hung it up and, and, you know, it dried. It just looked absolutely beautiful. Dude, he swears by it. Yeah. Swears by it. It was, it was really nice. It's salt meat. water, though. It's salt, salt water. Salt water, yeah. Now, speaking of pickling, now it's on to pickling. Um, this, we have one pickled thing. I brought pickled sucker that's buffalo which is a native sucker most of the suckers not most same carp you know are, are non-native like your classic golf course pond golden carp is a non-native then you have a ton of native suckers in the u.s but there's a sucker that's as big as a carp called a buffalo and all those rough fish and northern pike are good pickled and when you pickle them it dissolves the bones and if you open that up and eat it it is the best thing you'll ever eat yeah man hell yeah open it up where's that from shot them with our bows last spring in wisconsin bow fishing for them and they're big i mean a buffalo sucker is like this that's probably an exaggeration i mean these are like big five six eight ten pound fish you know were you there yanni when we shot that that's a big chunk. Wrap your lips around that. It's more than Wrap your lips around cubes, that big man. chunk. <laughs> Here, Brad, you're going to have mine. All right. If you like pickled fish. I do. That's, that's, as, good as, that's as good as any pickled fish. And that fish has so much bone, you couldn't have approached yeah. it when we killed it. You can't get... I try, I got in there, man. I remember, like, this isn't my line, but someone was talking about cleaning shad, and he said it was, like, trying to fix a watch, you know, like, deal with all the bones in there, you know? But I'm telling you, man, you couldn't go near that stuff. I tried, I was like, I'm going to debone this buffalo sucker. You can't. There used to be a commercial market for buffalo sucker. You know, it's, like, one of the more popular sucker fish. That's pickled. The other things that I pickle, I pickle northern... I pickle bony fish because it dissolves the bones. Bones just go away magically. I pickle. There's a, like a dog and a cat making a bunch of rack if you're hearing weird noise. Um, the dog looks like an Arctic fox. I thought it was an Arctic fox. It has mange. <laughs> <laughs> I pickle bony fish. I pickle any bird, uh, gizzards, hearts, and livers. Generally not livers, but the gizzards and hearts. I boil them till they're tender, then add them to pickling juice. I'll sometimes eat all the pickles out of a jar. If it's like good pickles, I'll eat all the pickles out of the jar. Then I'll just fill that jar up with bird hearts and bird gizzards and chunks of deer heart and everything else and then wait two weeks and then eat that out of there. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else I pickle. Probably about it. Can you think of anything you like to pickle? Brian and I both pickle trout. Trout? Yeah. Like how? Straight, oh, just like, like that. Pike, like pike or like you did that buffalo. And you throw it in raw. Like that was in raw. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah, you freeze, go, it, you put, freeze it first, but. Tenderize it. <laughs> Kill it's the straight, It's straight vinegar first and then. Yep. 
Yeah, that's vinegar. Day with salt, day with vinegar, yep. and then pickling. Oh, okay, brine. that's how that's how I do it there. So yeah, wash it real good. Then you do vinegar. Then I retain some of the vinegar, and then I like make a regular brine and put some of that vinegar back in there. So you don't do? Do you do? So you do hundred percent vinegar for a day, yep. and then the brine. Yep. You don't do a hundred percent. Or like a salty brine salt water. for a day? No, I do salt water. For a day. Like saturated. Yep. Yeah. Like floating egg. For 24 hours. Then I do all vinegar for 24 hours. Yep. Then I pour most of that vinegar off and probably wind up doing like one part vinegar to one or two parts water. I have it written down. And then a bunch of horseradish, garlic. Cloves, allspice. Sugar. Yep, sugar. I like to make it sweet, man. I yep, do too. me too. Do you have lemon in there? Never put lemon in there. It's not bad. A friend of mine turned me on to that recently. We don't really have access to white fleshed fish here. I mean, like, you know, locally. Bourbon, don't you? Well, our, our fishery got shut. The place where we like to fish bourbon got shut down. It or used least, to be pretty good, but yeah. you can't fish until the ice goes out now. So, Really? Why? Are these getting over hit, overfished? Pot- potential for it. They were, we were clearly vulnerable. Yeah, we. I mean, we were pounding them on there. You know, you know how burbot or eopout, as a lot of people know them. They they also call them lawyers because like the yep. the assholes, <laughs> the hearts right by the asshole on them. So people call them lawyer fish. Lawyers you know that? Are, yeah, people, that's a good fish. They also call lush. them poor, poor man's lobster. Oh, they're so good. Like I grew up in Minnesota catching walleyes, catching we call them eopout, throwing them on the ice. <laughs> I never I heard eopout. <laughs> I can't tell you how many eopout I killed without putting a knife to. Threw them on the ice. I moved to Alaska. Like, there's no walleyes here. What do you guys ice fish for? Burbot. Oh, eopout. <laughs> All right, let's try it. That stuff is legit. It's amazing. It's super good. When I lived in Montana, we'd go out to this Canyon Ferry Lake and fish perch. Then once it got dark, you had about an hour where you could get ling cod. We called them ling cod then. <laughs> yeah, ling, ling cod. Oh, my God, it's a good fish. They got Corbett. a lot of names. We'd boil them and dip them in butter like lobster. Yeah. Awesome that way. How much so time? What, this, how, how much time we got? We're done. We're at an hour. This stuff is legit. Can you tell us how you make this? Yeah, uh, Dang, yeah. smoke salmon candy. That's how is it? How'd you get it so hard? Just <laughs> brine the shit out of it and then and then smoked it for a really long time. How'd you catch the, this? Fit? That's, dip, a, that's some, yeah. That's some some sockeye salmon that Brant and I dip netted last Explain summer. Explain the dip net fishery. People, this will blow people's uh, mind in the you, lower forty. You can't understand it if you don't see it. But explain your dip net fishery. So yeah, yeah. First, let me let, let me note that it's open only to Alaska residents. But there's a, a few rivers around where you can go, take basically an oversized landing net that you can have. The hoop can be up to five feet in diameter, so they're absolutely massive. And the pole, the handles are usually about ten, fifteen feet long. Yeah, yeah. So picture just a giant oversized landing net. But then instead of um like that poly braided cord bag, it's got a bag made out of gill net and. So most of the fish you catch are inside the, the the net, but some of them are actually outside the net. They just get tangled in the the gill net. But you're just standing out in a river and waders and <laughs> nipple deep water, you know. Holding, as holding. far as you can go without getting getting. <laughs> or in waders. your boat too, right? Yeah, or for a boat. Yeah, yeah. people use dry suits to get a little extra extra edge out there, or or or, or waders, or from a boat, whatever. Um, but yeah, you're just holding this net in the water, and if it, if you're in a boat, you're sort of motoring downstream. If you're if you're um, if you're waiting, you're just standing in the water. Some people put on a put on a wetsuit and a life jacket, and just float down the river with the thing, 
and you're just holding it in the water and you're fish banging into it and you you know, get one two sometimes three at a, at, a, at a pop but the 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 limit is in, in the the local fisheries is 25 for the head of the household and then 10 more fish for each person in the household that's the annual limit so you can you can bring home a so bunch you'll, of fish. But you'll go and pull that you'll go home and come home with 45 salmon Oh, we've come home with over a hundred. Yeah, depending on how many guys you go with and what their, how many, you know, how big their families are, you know. But yeah, yeah, we had one day this summer. We went and we hit it perfect. We weren't even gone for I don't think eighteen hours from Anchorage. We came home with a hundred fish, hundred salmon, hundred salmon. How how big sockeye are these salmon? salmon, chrome red sockeye salmon. Yeah, right out, just yeah, we're hundred yards from the ocean, so they're they're super bright. And how big are these a piece? Not big. These are they're smaller, three five pounds. Yeah. That's still a lot of fish, man. <laughs> yeah, they're oh. gorgeous. They're gorgeous. That's, not, that's, that's what we're eating there. It's equivalent to when you get a moose down and you think something's done, you got to chop it up. I mean, you go out, you have fun for 12 hours. Now you got to fillet 100 salmon. Yeah. But that's it for the year. You're good. So these- Yeah, how do you then go out and fish salmon? <laughs> With a rod and reel. Well, it's nice to get some variety, you know. Like a really, I mean, that that it's really nice to have some king salmon because they say they taste so different than everything else. But man, that's, so anyways, explain how you made this. This is great, man. What part of the fish is this? That's just the whole fillet. So these were these oh, are kind is. of small sockeye that we were getting. That's a belly. That that's that's yeah. pretty primo right there. But um, so they're kind of thin fillets, and I was just I I, I was just cutting the fillets into thin strips and leaving the skin on. And then I I brined them with a dry brine that was six parts brown sugar to one part kosher salt, and that's it. That's that's the brine. But you can even Did go. You weigh them. Put weight on them. No, no. But I use a lot of it, so I got a big tub and I will lay a layer of these strips in there, and then hit just cover them in that brine. I mean, I you know I use it's just pounds of brine. And then another layer of those strips, and then just cover it in the I'm not not the brine, but the rub, you know, dry the dry rub, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you're just burying them in that stuff, and it pulls out so much moisture, you know. In a few hours, they're in soup. You started out with just dry brown sugar and dry salt, and a few hours they're just in soup because it's pulling so much moisture out of the fish. And the the, the nice thing about having that ratio so strongly skewed toward brown sugar is that you can't over salt them that way i got you um a lot of people will use so you can bombard them with brine brine the hell out of them and it's not going to get too it's never going to get too salty and i you know i think you could probably even go eight to one in this in that you know salt or sugar cures them just like salt does right so um but by if you get the ratio right, you can just absolutely brine the hell out of it and not worry about getting too salty. So, so it turns to a brick. Yeah. Did you know that fresh you probably noticed freshwater fish piss much, much more than saltwater fish? Yeah. Yeah. Like a freshwater fish absorbs water and pisses copious amounts. And a saltwater fish is always losing through osmosis. It's no, always no, 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 losing no. water to salt. He's always losing his water and doesn't piss. Pisses a very small amount. Yeah, in in water wants to flow to the direction to equilibrate equilibrate yeah, with the, the salt. That means the fish is shedding his fresh water. A yeah, saltwater fish, fish is shedding all kinds of water to the ocean. A, a, a fish in fresh water is is holding on to its salt, and, and a fish in salt water is. But water drains into his body. Yeah, through the gills. Yeah. Yep. 
No, yeah. through pores in his through through pores in his skin. Well, that, the the surface area is in the gills. I mean, that's where the that's where the real surface area is, and that's where the gas exchange occurs, and that's where I you get a lot. Of, there's yeah. just a lot of opportunity for ions hey, to move across the gills. Last thing, last thing I want to talk about. We got out of alphabetical order, teeny bit. What do you, what do you guys uh, like sausaging? I'll tell you what I make for sausages. I make summer sausage, and I make a variety of fresh sausages. I do my fresh sausages. Um, same blend, 90% lean, 10% fat. I do a handful of fresh sausages. I do them all in hog gut, and I freeze them all raw in back bags three or four per pack and that's all i do now i used to do all kinds of you know i just do fresh i don't do any like smoke this and that i just got away from it all in summer or dawn yeah that's the only thing i smoke yeah do we keep referring to donkey dick is that clear what we're talking about summer sausage all right (laughs) (laughs) but brand's on we're running out of time. Brant's out of this new cheese that high temp new? cheese. It's revolutionized my. Brant's out of cheese that you can put into a 500 degree oven and it won't melt. It's awesome. Is that for, natural? For summer so- <laughs> Here's what I'll tell you. I don't know. I would. I won't use nitrate. So it, it, in the same summer sausage that I won't put nitrates in, I'll put high temp cheese in. So mm-hmm. there may be some issues there. But what was nice is it smoked and the cheese is still. Has its integrity, absolutely for brats squares. and for summer sausage. It's legit. It's good. The best sausage making book out there is again Ruhlman's Charcuterie. I think. Do you guys use that book? Yeah. yeah. He don't talk about that cheese though. Try that right now. Right. When I first told you about this, you were questionable. Yep, yeah, you sent me some. Did you like it? Yeah, you didn't even it. tell me. No, I loved it. <laughs> I didn't tell you I liked it. I don't even think you told me. Oh, yeah, that, that was rude of me. Thank you. A little smoky too. You can smell that smoke. That's good. A lot of mustard seed in there. Yeah, what do you guys think about the ratio of mustard seed? I like a whole shit. Oh, yeah, I do too. Yeah. I think it should be crunchy. Look, yeah. Crunch, yeah. yeah. So you can get that high temp cheese in uh, numerous flavors, um, and I like it. I think it's good. I've heard people question it. Maybe it's questionably uh, impure, but I like it. Dude, I never told you I liked the stuff you sent me. Oh man, That's pretty rude. I don't like. Do you sit around at night be, being like, "I hate Steve"? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know you. Uh, I know you people don't have a long attention span. Um, we, we've already stretched its limits. Any concluding thoughts? Giannis, this is the least you've ever spoke in your entire... It's been a long day. We got up about 3 a.m. to get here. Uh, um, no, I was going to go away with... like. I'm, oh, you do have it. concluding thoughts. Yeah, I do. I d- can you hear me now? I can hear you then. I don't, uh, I don't can yet, but... One of the biggest draws for me is because I'm always up against like the freezer conundrum of like, man, 
it's Monday night, Tuesday night, and don't have stuff thought out. And I would try to do the Sunday thing where I really plan ahead for the week, but it'd be so nice to just have that stuff. And it doesn't take up freezer space when your pantry is just stocked full of nice yeah. canned meat. Yep. And, I, and I don't even can my stock, so my stock is in my freezer. And um, okay, yeah, cannon stock is totally the way to go. What if you had to recommend real quick, give me the spiel on where I should go to, or like what piece of equipment I need to. In my mind, there's only one. It's that big Presto. It's like the kind everybody has the giant Presto. Uh, everybody in Alaska uses the All American. All American, yeah. Oh really? It does. It's a. It has a metal on metal steel. It has like a milled. There's no a, gasket in there. There's no gasket. Well, you put Vaseline on there. Yeah, you don't need. You to. don't need to. But it doesn't have a gasket, to, and so it, it just never goes bad. They're, they're, they're excellent, but they're, they're a little spendy. All American's a yeah. manufacturer, yeah. Mine's a big, I don't know, it must think it was made out of aluminum. What are those Presto ones? Like Mom had. They're I aluminum. have the same one Mom had. Yeah. I mean, you can't destroy it, you know? And they're not that much money. The big-ass ones are like 60 70 bucks. Yeah, the ones we're talking about are significantly more than that. That's what, in jars. I bought mine a long time ago. But a couple you, hundred? 300 wow when you go they're 300 bucks for an all-american yeah for the size we have you can yeah. do 14 pint jars in a bag oh so it's big because i think mine is eight so you can, you can layer jar they're tall enough that you can, you can do, do oh really you can, you can do, do two, two layers, layers of, of seven pints okay um the, the the cost is when you go and buy jars at an actual store it's like they say not to, and I'm not saying people should go do this, but you know a lot of companies will sell pasta sauce and pickles and stuff in a, in a jar? It might not be up to specs and up to grade, but if it's got that size lid, they say the glass isn't as good. I use them all the time. I, I, I never had one break. Yeah. I don't know. But I've heard you're not supposed to do that. I never had one break. The other thing is you see people throw them out, you go into any kind of like Goodwill, Salvation Army, they're in there, they're in yard sales. But like if you're going to go jar a whole bunch of stuff and you go in and buy brand new glass, it kind of feels like a little bit like not, it just feels a little off, like the amount of money you're spending to do it again. It's kind of like jumping into Reload and buying a bunch of new brass yeah. at a dollar a piece. It's yeah. expensive. It's like reloading reload. ammo. It takes, you got to reload years to make up for the startup cost. But I've bought very few jars in my life. When I see them, I just grab them, you know what I mean? And I keep them hanging out somewhere. And uh, it's fun. It's fun to can, man. I like it. And then when everything goes shit, you know, and the world collapses and, and, and everybody's cannibalizing each other and there's no law and it's just total anarchy, your freezer's not <laughs> going to be. Your freezer's not staying frozen. You can start canning humans. <laughs> I know. You can. We can all can each other. Um, so that's another selling point. <laughs> unless you got a solar powered freezer uh yeah canning's fun it's old timey i like it oh there's something really satisfying about having just a whole cabinet full of pretty glass jars of stuff that you can it's it's real nice i jar too i like to grow beets and make pickled beets I do too. And I jar. that's the only thing out of my garden that i jar though tomato I'll, I'll jar tomatoes and i'll jar I'll pickle beets. some green beans too oh yeah it's all right Brand, what a, what a great gift, too, man. You want to, like, really... My brother, Matt, for Christmas, he sends out stuff like that. What are you going to do? You go give everybody a gift card? You know? Give them a jar or something, man. They like it. It's pretty. 
Oh man, that just shows love and respect and hugs and kisses all in you know one little package. There you go. Brant, concluding thoughts. I don't know, man. Processing meats, it's fun, and if you're gonna kill animals, like it's one of those things. You need somebody to get you into hunting. Normally, you don't get into it on your own. Same with processing your own meat. Generally, it's not one of those things you get into. Yeah. But once you do, it's worth it. And it's, uh, it's cost-effective and it's rewarding. And recommend anybody who's interested in it to get into it. Yeah, and, and team up with friends. Uh, like, if you kill a deer, have a couple guys over and process the whole thing and give them, you know, give them like a third of it. I mean, it's not going to screw you. I mean, they're, they'll turn right around and do the same for you. You learn a lot of stuff that way. All right, signing out. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear.